Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Friday Roundtable Show. This is episode 286. Got a great panel here. Um, maybe some of the other panelist members will be joining us, join the show, popping in. Um, but we've got a really compact but knowledgeable panel here. I'm going to ask Chris to introduce himself to our listeners and viewers. My name's Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of a Lifter LMS solution for creating, selling, and protecting online courses. That's called Lifter LMS. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. Yeah, and I thought you did a great um, interview with Adam Crock from WP Crafter. Um, he's another panelist. Hopefully, you might be joining us. Um, but it was a great interview. I thought you did a great job there, Chris. Thanks, I appreciate it. Um, we've got Sally. You'd like to introduce yourself, Sally? Certainly. My name is Sally Getch. I am the WP fangirl because I'm a fan of WordPress. And um, <clears throat> I'm also the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. But you're not a fan of Facebook, are you? I, I'm not. No. I, I just never was. Okay. She said that with a certain level of sarcasm. Um, um, John, uh, um, John Locke, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. My name is John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design. We provide SEO for manufacturing and industrial firms. And I'm with Sally. Bring back MySpace. You, know, and you, did, that in, you did that interview with Rand with me um, yesterday, and you did a better job than me. What was that about, John? You asked him better questions than I did. I just prepare for life's moments and let things happen. My ego is destroyed, folks. There we go. But uh, there we are. When we get to my age, it happens. Well, on to the stories. You don't want me to rabbit, do you, listeners? So um, on to the first story. Um, and blah, blah, blah. I'll get my show notes up to help. And it's around Facebook not listening through your phone. It doesn't have to. And that's on the wire um, website. And also including a great video, Echoes of Big Tech, on the L2 Inc. YouTube channel. And that's a, a great... Um, oh, yes, then we've got another panelist joining us, Adam. Um, that's great. Um, but that's a YouTube video, and I'm going to give a quick synopsis of this to the panel, and then I'm going to ask them to comment. And it's really... Um, this video discussion was with um, John Patel, who was one of the, funny enough, one of the founders of Wire magazine, uh, a well-known um, digital personality in the Valley, VC investor, done loads of stuff. And they were basically um, discussing what's happened to Facebook. And John Patel does think in the medium to long term that a credible competitor to Facebook could be found and is a likely challenge is to come up. Um, he felt that Apple and especially Google, Google's been extremely quiet, um, just looking, um, you know, with eagerness that the trouble that Facebook is getting itself into. But he felt, you know, um, 
But you see, you also said that any of these big players, um, a incident might change the landscape almost instantaneously. But he said it's all about culture, and he felt that fundamentally the culture in Google was more intellectual, more based on on the origins of the founders, which was from Stanford University, um, where with Google, it, uh, more than with Facebook, where Facebook it felt it was more kind of street fighting kind of culture, um, that kind of punkish kind of culture that, that he's seen in Facebook. I don't know, Sally, what do you think of that synopsis and some of the things that John had to say in the interview? Oh, you're muted. Sorry, you muted yourself. I did mute myself. I was coughing. Didn't want to disturb everybody. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to watch the video, but, um, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, Facebook and Google, I, I don't think uh, Google has a leg to stand on in, in terms of being self-righteous about uh, data collection. Um, you know, the, the, I remember going to a, a presentation at uh, the Googleplex and there was Larry Page saying, you know, we know more about you than your credit card company. And that was probably, you know, 2003 or four. Um, it was it, a, a long time ago and it, it's only gotten more extensive. It's, you know, everybody is collecting data. Facebook is perhaps extra notorious. Uh, but, um, you know, I think the, the point of this uh, <clears throat> Wired article certainly is, you know, even as much as is being done by Facebook and, and elsewhere, there are some things that, you know, are kind of the creation of our paranoid minds um, and easy to think about. It's like I, my mother said to me uh, uh, at the beginning of, of, of the month, um, something about, you know, I, I saw this thing where this, there's this like device that they can use to read your thoughts. Like, Mom, it's April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally see you. But what I, I thought one of the interesting things in the discussion with John was that he actually thought it was quite credible um, in the medium term that uh, um, that Facebook is going to fade away and a, a new platform. I was, um, it could happen, but you know, lots lots of people have been trying to be the next Facebook uh, or the next Twitter or the next whatever, and and not uh, not doing it. I mean, everything is going to be replaced by something else eventually yeah but you know but some black like compared it to apple he said apple's had multiple kind of changes in 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 what it's selling in a way um and google but, can't create a successful social network to save its life they've, they've no, it's not been that. able to um but i suppose the reason why he's saying that because what happened to um myspace but on the other hand i think the big threat to facebook a lot, a lot of people were saying was uh, mobile, but they they really killed that with their app and the way they dealt with that. Um, so, what do you think, Chris? Do you think there could be a, a alternative to Facebook coming up in the next couple of years? Do you think they of the big players are they the most vulnerable? Absolutely, I think there could be a definitely a new one. I think every business has a life cycle and dies, you know, and declines and dies at some point. And that in the technology world, the speed of that process is accelerating. And there are some monopolies out there, like 
that are huge, but they too are not invincible to, uh, you know, being disrupted. In my opinion, it'll come from the ground up. It won't be coming from the big money of Google or Amazon. It's more likely a, a more scrappy grassroots startup will find a, you know, unique uh, angle of, you know, redefining social in a different way. Um, so I, I think it's only a matter of time. It also depends a lot on market segments. You know, Facebook, it, it kind of seems like it's becoming more and more for older people like myself as we get older. <laughs> and uh, Snapchat and these other things. I mean, different segments of the population use different tools. Um, it's very hard to have a ubiquitous social networking app that works for everybody perfectly. And to that point, I just want to say, because of that very idea right there, I am actually personally okay with all the tracking that happens because I believe that in a world where marketing and businesses can be designed around very specific segments of the population, I see that overall as a good thing. I just think that, you know, ethics, like we've talked about a couple episodes ago, needs, there needs to be a system of checks and balances to make sure that that access to the data is not, um, you know, used in unethical ways. But I'm all for ethical and targeted marketing and segmentation. And I'm also very much pro entrepreneurship uh, where new social network could rise up and, uh, you know, compete in the open marketplace. I want to ask um, Adam, WP Craft has joined us. I want to ask Adam this. Um, you know, what's been surprising apart from a couple of um, companies, and there's really been no in advertising revenue or people, substantial numbers of people leaving Facebook. So the, the online media and the established media have had a field day around the, the crisis around Facebook. But the public's reaction in its major markets is a kind of kind of semi-yawn. Have you been surprised by that, Adam? Well, no. I mean, uh, what what year was it? Uh, three years ago, when there was that what was that guy's name? The the leaker who basically exposed that in the United States. Yeah. All, Snowden. Yeah, Edward Snowden. Yeah. So uh, it was a good movie too about Edward Snowden. But the, it's like. The same thing, right? I mean, uh, he revealed, exactly, he revealed that uh, all of our phone calls, all that metadata is being uh, collected, and we had no idea that this was happening. No one cared, you know what I mean? And honestly, I think with the Facebook stuff, I don't put anything on there that's like is so secret, you know. I mean, maybe in uh, insta the messaging, but there's nothing in there that's like I really, really care about. Uh, so I think that's more of what the thing is. Is I, I personally don't care, but what I don't like my data well, going someplace. Up a little bit. Uh, my, I am very sorry. I shouldn't be at all. Um, uh, am I no, still it having? Be, could be me. It could be me. Okay. No, it could be me actually. Okay. He, he sounds okay. I, I totally agree about, um, you know, I was hearing, I've heard other people talk about how, yeah, people are, you know, you hear people say, I'm leaving Facebook, I'm leaving Facebook. And then, you know, two days later, there's a post from them. Well, you you, you know what they do? They, 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 they create a, another account that kind of has like a twist on their name, you know. Right. It's, you know, it's not that people don't care at all. 
but they don't care enough to put themselves to the kind of inconvenience it would be to actually leave Facebook. And by now, Facebook knows all this shit about you anyway, so it, it's probably a, a case of shutting the, the barn door after the horses escape. <clears throat> Yeah, but well, what, do, what, what do they? I agree with Adam. What do they? You know, I, I really, um, and, and, you know, Morton's on holiday. He's sunning himself in Hawaii, whatever. Uh, um, wish I was there. Uh, um, but uh, um, I had a little bit of spat with Morton because there's, there's, there's some idea that you're there. Of course, of course, marketing influences you, but you ask any marketer how hard it is to really, you know, to really into you know, get people to do what you really want. It's not easy either. So, especially millenniums, because they're, they're, they've been bombarded by all this crap. Well, it, it, I mean, you know, it, it's easy to influence the people to do things that they were already inclined to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And they just need a little a little push. It's it's much harder to influence people to do things that that they really don't want to do. Um, and not everybody responds to marketing the same way. I know me. I'm very numb to it. I don't respond to any advertisement, and so I can't. But not everyone's like me. If there's a pizza commercial on my TV. Like two seconds later, my wife and my son are looking at me saying, "Let's order some pizza." You know, yeah, so everybody reacts differently. You do have, you mentioned that before, you do have a, a fascination around pizza, don't you, Adam? <laughs> it's just a perfect example. Well, it's, it, it, I mean, you know, that's, that's the point of a lot of those uh, ads and things is to, you know, to, to encourage people to make impulsive uh, purchases. And, you know, there is a lot of stuff being done that is manipulative. I think we've talked about dark patterns before and, uh, you know, if, there certainly needs to be a standard for, uh, you know, for, for behavior. Standards? Standards? I know, a shocking notion. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm old enough to remember the floating point issue in, uh, and I think most people here are also uh, in Intel. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the joke about, uh, the, you know, that problem with their processor was that, you know, you know how it says Intel inside on your computer? That's called truth in advertising. Yeah, but I think also Facebook are really quite savvy because, you know, people say, I'm leaving Facebook. I'm going to Instagram. Yeah. Well, <laughs> people are. People are <laughs> or WhatsApp. The population as a whole is not terribly clueful. Pardon? Sorry, Sally. Did you say? I, I, I said the population as a whole is, is not terribly clueful. No, but I just think Facebook, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're pretty savvy. You know, they bought up, you know, Instagram and it's, you know, it's been a great um, money maker. And it's, if you look at the social networks, that the real growth, it's one of the top ones and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. All those images of of people trying to be more make out they're more wealthier than they are. God, I don't. Going broke doing it, yes. Yeah, yeah going broke doing it. It's so easy to go broke, isn't it? There we go. Um, well, I felt um, the other the other point was um, what was the other key point? Well, he, also the culture in um, in the valley. You know, um, he was saying that it's very founder driven. So do you? Do you, Chris, do you think that fundamentally all company culture comes from the founder or the founders? No, I don't. 
Um, I think it's a it's a place where it kind of starts, but it comes from the team and it comes from the early customers and as well. And it's more of a conversation than a mirror of the founder. Yes, I agree. Right, uh, I think we go on to the next story, but I thought it was worth discussing because I, I thought it was a really interesting piece, and I. Uh, I might try and get John on the show, actually. Uh, um, that'd, be a, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, um, so um, on to the next one, which is um, plugins hosted on WordPress.org can no longer guarantee legal compliance. Oh, oh dear, we're finished. Um, Sally, would you like to do introduction on this one? Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I think this came about uh, because of the imminence of the GDPR, uh, and there's a lot of stuff being reviewed uh, with regard to data collection and, and this and that. And, you know, I, I saw the article in the tavern, and then in another place I saw a, a reference to um, an earlier uh, article by one of the people who was part of this decision. And, and what it's saying is, you know, that the truth is um, plugins could never guarantee that um, because you don't know who's using it or what laws apply or, or any, you know, and, and anybody who knows anything about the law understands that, uh, you know, you need to be very careful to say, this is not legal advice. This is not, you know, I, I, I was raised by lawyers and uh, um, that you can say, you know, this will help you achieve certain uh, things that have been, you know, explicitly stated as, as requirements, uh, but you can't say it will guarantee your uh, compliance. Um, probably even your $700 an hour attorney cannot, you know, will not say that you're guaranteed compliance. Um, and especially that you're not guaranteed compliance in, in perpetuity because laws change. And so, you know, it makes much more sense to say, this plugin will help you do this thing, which we know is required by, you know, this law or, or statute in this country. Um, and, you know, and consult your lawyer for all the, the details of what else you might need to do to, to be in complete uh, compliance. The GDPR requires, you know, it refers not just to the data you collect on your website, but to all kinds of data you have about people. And so, yeah, well, what does it really matter? Because what, what's, the, what's the European going to do if you're based in America, as long as you don't have an office in in the European Union, it, it's kind of hard to to see, uh, you know, exactly. But this is this has a lot more teeth than the the, the VAT law, and um, certainly, if you are doing business, uh, in, yeah, well, in they the, can't find you if you're based in America or some other country. Oh, they can probably find you just fine. Uh, they may not be looking if you're a small business without a lot of revenue, uh, but. Uh, you know, it's still, I mean, I have a lot of clients who have large mailing lists of overseas customers. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Why does it, why does it matter? Because if they're based in America, if the common, if it's not a criminal uh, offense, I, they can take out an international warrant. Um, you know, are they really going to attempt to go through all the expense, unless it's a very large company of going through the American um, civil legal system and 
hiring American well, lawyers. Well, I, I, I think if they, uh, if if American, you have the money to the pay that $2 million fine, they will go after it. Yeah, well, yeah, they probably will. Um, John, what, did you, what do you think of all this? Yeah, I, I, I don't know why you would have a, a plug-in that would, you know, guarantee that it's going to be compliant with these new regulations anyway. Um, because a plugin is just one part of a larger system between your server, your website, um, all the other code on your website, uh, you know, the user data itself. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know why you would even, you know, try and have a plugin say that it's going to be. I'm surprised they were allowed to use that word. Well, yes. The, I mean, you know, the, the, the way the author of, of this second article describes it really is that, you know, uh, this was a problem before. Uh, you know, it was already an issue that, that you know, there would, you're taking on liability if you make a claim like that. And um, they certainly wouldn't want the, the WordPress Foundation to incur any of that liability. Uh, yeah, well, hey, Chris, are you getting anybody um, that's based in Europe asking you any questions around all this? Uh, I mean, customers, yeah, people are really concerned with the issue, but the government hasn't come after you know, me, I have a lot of customers in, in Europe. Um, so, you gonna, so you got any idea you gonna, or you're just going to see how things develop really? Well, it's going to go down, I guess on May 25th or whatever, but I'm looking at it less as an event is more of a process that's happening. It's already started happening. It's going to keep happening. Um, WordPress is going to make changes. I'm watching what WooCommerce is doing. We're making changes. It's not going to magically all be okay like with 100% compliance on May 25th. There's also a lot of education that needs to happen. To go back to the original issue, um, something interesting happens in the software world, especially when that software is around online business. And I don't know if it's a marketing thing or just a cultural thing, but a lot of times we get support or just general community questions around legal issues, around accounting issues, around finance issues, around business issues. Uh, we're, so, we're a software, we're a technology company. And we may have some experience and see patterns in those deals, but I think there's something going on in our culture and our society where they think that if I just buy this tool, if I just buy Lifter LMS, if I just buy this training program, if I just buy this membership plugin, or if I just buy this thing for my online business, it's going to cover it all. And I think there's something going on there where we just have to, which, which is exactly what WordPress is doing, where they're defining boundaries around what's in the scope of their responsibility. A lot of the GDR, GDPR issues have nothing to do with technology. They have to do with the content of a privacy policy, terms and conditions, the way people communicate with their customers. But I see people looking to software companies who are, you know, that are affected by this issue, looking for throwing their hands up in the air and say, solve this for me by May 25th. And I think yeah, that's everybody that's wants a magic wand. Yeah, yeah but it's, I think it's worse than that. But I'm going to throw it over to Adam in a second about see if he agrees with me or not. Um, I think it's worse than that because I, I think if you're based, you've got a physical office a physical business address in the in the union you really got to understand this because um whatever country that your business is domicile in they're gonna they can come after you 
But if you're based in America and that, they wrote all these articles about this, but they don't make the point. The Unless you're a very wealthy company that has offices and probably has a physical office somewhere in Europe as well, um, they're not going to come after you. Um, the chances of them coming after you, because you're not domicile, your business is not domicile in the union. So the, the chances of them hiring the lawyers and trying to get a civil matter through the American courts, good luck to them. That's what I say to them. Good luck to them. What do you reckon, Adam? Well, and also the fact remains that it's the government there they don't have the resources just like the United States government doesn't have the resources for 90% of what they'd want to do. So um, I do, I do for me personally, um, I don't fully agree with every aspect of the spirit of it, but I'm going to do my very best to implement as much of it as I can through the disclosures and through having a proper contact form, but I'm not probably initially going to dot every I and cross every T and I'm not super worried about it. I mean, in the United States court system, typically if you want to hire an attorney and file a civil case against someone, you're looking at a minimum of four or $5,000 and that's just to get something filed and sent. That's the beginning, you know, and then it easily, you can add a zero and multiply it by two for anything. So, I mean, there is a jurisdiction issue. Now, I'm not an attorney, but when you look at the numbers there, they just, you know, it's, this is my guiding saying in life. Is the juice worth the squeeze? If the juice ain't worth the squeeze, it's just not, it, you know, there's your answer. You know, it's just not going to be worth it. Oh, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get inundated by let those like those domain letters. Do you, you know, you're going to be going to get similar letters sent off to every kind of online business owner in the US. Do you know you're not your site is not applied? Blah blah blah. Give us a hundred dollars and we can do a a um, survey of your website to make some. It's going to be it's going to be inundated by these parasites sending this stuff. Because uh, I don't mind people writing the, this stuff, but they don't make it clear that unless your domus, your business is actually domicile in the in the common union, it's, you should be educated and keep yourself aware. But it's very unlikely that you really have to do. Um, it could be a sign that the U.S. government will go down the same road, but who knows? Um, Right, that's my little bit about that was a little thing. Well, that's true though that the government does want to implement easy ways to make people pay their money for no good reason. <laughs> yeah, all right. We're not going in that road. <laughs> We're not going down there. Good luck to you, Adam. Um, you need to join this week in politics. All right, um, free. Um, on to the next story. Design thinking is BS. And um, John, give us a quick synopsis of this story, can you? Sure. So for those who don't know uh, what design thinking is, that's something that had its origins in the, the 1950s and 60s, but in modern uh, nomenclature, that's something that was perfected by IDEO. And uh, it goes by other names like human-centered design. Uh, most often you're going to see uh, the designers get together with the people that they're designing the product or the application for. They're going to get a bunch of sticky notes and, and put them on the wall. And you, just, know, you know something, yeah. John. As you, yeah. as, you, as you mentioned those terms, 
I'm going into a cold sweat because it brings memories back of when I was doing my degree in uh-huh. interactive design and the shitty frigging courses I had to sit through mm-hmm. when I came out of that crap. You know, is, is it, I can actually, I can actually feel myself and the and the essays that I had to write and I thought, oh my god, what is that? What am I? Well, I'm sorry, I'm ranting on it, John. A little bit, but yeah. that's okay. Yeah. It's your show. You're allowed. Um, but but basically, like the the when you hear uh, people talk about empathy in design, it's really uh, what they're talking about is designing systems that are focused on the humans who are going to be using them, and so it in it, we kind of have this idea of a design at one point was. Um, kind of like this madman Don Draper type of thing where the, the genius creative director goes and uh, creative team goes and, and thinks up something. Uh, but it's kind of the pendulum swinging back toward this uh, getting not only the creative team, but the clients involved in uh, creating. Uh, and that's, that's kind of design thinking. So this article is a little taking a bit of a contrarian stance against that. And uh, what it's saying is what's not needed so much, not that design thinking is this awful thing, but what we really need is uh, kind of a focus on a cross-pollination. And one thing that they, uh, there's a couple stories, a couple anecdotal stories that they uh, put in here. And one was about a, a group of people that went to go define what was the uh, most appealing types of paintings, the most popular. The and the it way- was hilarious. I, yeah. I've met them before. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They they. I met them when I was at the University of Michigan, um, and they were speaking about this and and their history of um, uh, satirical art about the Soviet Union. Uh, and and looking at this and and then it, uh, they had a, a later book about um, elephants painting and um, they were in Berkeley for a, a, a while and yeah it is hilarious and yes if you ask people to kind of vote on their favorite color and their favorite element and their you get something that is really completely bland and uh, and uninteresting and that and that people don't feel they passionate about and and you can't necessarily just like leave it up to people to design their own stuff as as you know all of us who have seen uh, clients you know take a perfectly nice website and uh, turn it into um, angio cities uh, uh, you know uh, no is that you know having some knowledge and training and, and uh, you know understanding of this stuff does actually help but that you know, to use it in isolation regarding, oh, this is what my colleagues think is cool. You know, it's kind of like the developers who don't want to work with WordPress because, you know, it's not u- using the latest flavor of, of programming language that they think is really hip. Yeah. Yeah. What do you reckon, Adam? <clears throat> well, I think that the, for in the context of web design, that most websites, the bar doesn't even really need to be high in design. All you need is like hero image, a couple images of maybe the owners and the team and, you know, a contact form and all that and some really well-written SEO optimized blog posts. The bar, <laughs> you know, I mean, the bar. Now, if you're uh, a large corporation, yes. If you're um, 
for example, me, I want my website to look nice and have a nice design. Yes, I want to impress people. But for the other 99% of websites out there, the bar is like really low. You don't really need all that uh, someone that own, wants to hire someone to have a website that they might have fantasized in their head. You know what I mean? The, the bar just doesn't even really need to be that high. Yeah, but why... In a way, I, I understand where you're coming from, but why are a lot of websites so, so awful, though? Well, I mean, <laughs> well, okay, so what I meant by that was um, today, so there's a lot of old websites. Now, those could obviously be improved. I'm just talking about what you could throw together. You, you can easily throw together any web designer or uh, WordPress implementer can, can whip something together in a couple of hours throw some text, especially if they had the client's text. And it's it's going to meet that bar. Now, if you have a website from five years ago, it's going to look real dated and real text heavy, but it's not that hard to have something that looks good because I'm, I'm more speaking in reference to the majority of websites, which should be small business websites, right? Because um, that's, um, you know... If, well, I'm, I mean, if, if I if I if I want to hire a plumber, your your ugly plain text email will probably convert uh, as well as, if not better than, your fancy you know prettified HTML email. Well, that- well, my my only point is, if I want to hire a plumber, I'm I'm not looking for a fancy design on a plumber's website. I want to maybe have some trust building things, like see some reviews. I want to see the the team in their truck, so I know that they're legitimate. And, and it doesn't really go much further than that because I'm already looking for something that they offer. I just want to go with where I get a, a warm and fuzzy feeling, which doesn't require movement on the website, fancy design, a video. It doesn't require any of that stuff. Right. Um, Functional pro- is more important than trendy. I, I have dropped a not safe for work link in the uh, in the chat, which is to say, I'm not going to uh, pronounce it out loud on, no, I would do that. No, uh, uh, on the podcast, but I, I recommend that you take a look at it. It's like pure 1994, uh, all text, no styling. This is just how your browser interprets headings website. I remember yeah. websites like this, um, but it kind of gets you back to the point of, yeah, you know, you have a website for a purpose. Uh, and uh, if it, can fulfill that purpose. It does not have to be slick, trendy, use the latest whatever, um, and so on. Now, you know, there are some areas where your customers see a certain style on your competitors and they expect you will probably have a similar style. Uh, But, you know, the success of Craigslist uh, was a terrific... um, Example of, of how something ugly can nevertheless be extremely uh, commercially successful and useful to people. And also yeah. Judge Report, it's the same thing. It's just links from some other website. There's like, that website's a disaster and yeah. it gets a lot of traffic. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, it's nice if it's pretty. I, I like things to look good. <laughs> but if it, it if it looks gorgeous and doesn't help you, you know, sell products or, or inform customers how to reach you or whatever it is that you've built this website for, that's a design failure. Yeah, I've got to intervene here. I'm really torn here, but I think Chris wants to say something. Um, go on, Chris. I think everybody thinks they're a designer, 
that's part of the reason why a lot of the websites don't look that great. Um, just there's not, and we don't have a lot of great words to talk about it. The reality is that uh, design is like good design is sort of like pornography. We know it when we see it, but we don't really have the words to talk about it. And yeah, I, I think that's really you've put. Thank you for saying that. So yeah, I think Adam, I I think. I understand where you're coming from, but um, as usual, you just push it a little bit too far. I think the reason why you push it too far, Adam, is that you've actually got good taste and you've got a good eye, even though you, you haven't been formally trained in graphic design, you actually got taste. And I'm not trying to be nasty, but I, I, I underestimated the gross bad taste of a lot of people. <laughs> they, they, they're tight, they have no idea uh, they slap something up and you, I understand where you're coming from Adam but you, you underestimate the appalling bad taste of a lot of people Adam well I mean that's why you have Fiverr right uh, you know people go there and they pay $5 for a logo and they love it and I'm just like I've tried that just to see what you can get for $5 and I, it's horrible. It's the most horrible stuff, but people love it. People love it. You see these fiber logos all over the place. So yes, I, I think my point, my point of 99 designs is a great concept, but the problem is the person that's making the decision who wins the, has no taste. And, um, Not a designer. You know, um, taste, you know, it's a bit like, it's a bit, it's a bit like saying everybody um, is great at math, doing their accounts and, and math, well, most people aren't, most people don't and uh, it's just linked to what Chris also said, that most people, for some reason, think they're a designer, that they do have taste but they don't really, what do you reckon John? Do you think I'm a bit being a bit unfair there, John? Actually, I want to say something before oh. John talks, because it will feed into John. Um, I think, you know, if we were to sit here and discuss what should be the priorities of your website, and so some people would probably put design as the highest priority or the first priority. I don't think so. I think the words you put on your website should be the highest priority. And I'm feeding this into John because if you look at John's website, John's website visually looks natural and great, but you could tell the design is very perfectly balanced. It's not over the top or anything like that, but you could tell a lot of effort, the majority of the effort went into the words he chose to use on his website. And that's what gets people to do what you want them to do or feel how you want them to feel versus the design. So I think it would be the words you choose to use, which is also referred to as copy, then go into the design. Off to you, John. Yeah, absolutely. And, and tying him back in, into this article and, and what you said as well, that's, uh, you know, something uh, for sure. I mean, there's a great uh, page on the internet. It's Justin Jackson's uh, words and it's, it's the same sort of thing that, that Sally just shared in chat but it's it's just words on a page but you're sitting here reading you know um, you have to start with the words because that's where you form the human connection and really if you don't you know have that connection all the beautiful design in the world is not really going to make a long lasting impact on someone else so I, I do agree with what you're saying, Adam. Um, your messaging words, the copy, 
who you're talking to and how you're talking to them is so important because that's what we hook into as human beings. It's not really, you know, the sound and fury that signifies nothing. It's and, uh, yeah, it's, I totally it's agree. The waters that that run beneath. But I also think spacing, um, spacing, um, regularity, um, consistency of of font, of um, consistency throughout the website. These are subconscious things, but I do think. Um, people make a judgment call even if they're not aware of it but on the other hand you can take it too far and i do also take adam what you said about the plumbing site um you can take it it's it's not not or everything argument well you reckon sally do you think i'm just waffling no i don't think i don't think you're just waffling and i think you know part of adam's point is you know there are a lot of you know, perfectly adequate themes. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're just putting up a, a small business. Yeah, but why do why do brochure websites and of, of choosing they, an adequate theme, and then they want to completely change it? Well, there are people who really want to mess with things, but and then that's where you get the fact that they don't understand design principles. You know, and, and, and I'm going I'm to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt again because I just want to put. I'm not trying to be rude, Sally. Um, I just want to make this point sally and get your feedback i think this is quite um i was just thinking why uh, you know why you you found the story and i decided to put it in but i just realized because i think with the new page builders and what's happening in wordpress with um gutenberg and everything we're gonna off see a load of freaking ugly websites you know sally aren't we we're gonna see well, uh, dog breaths do, aren't we doesn't this happen already i mean there have been page builders you know not oh. as nice as the as the current ones for a long time and there was you know geocities long before uh, we had any of these tools that there are some people um you know who don't have the training and who don't have the taste and they're you know because there are people who know that they're not good at design they, they don't want to mess with it. They want something that, like, it looks good enough to them. Uh, and those are the people who, who really will do what, what Adam says. They'll, like, find a theme, uh, put a couple pictures on it, put some content on it, and, and, you know, not tinker with stuff. And there are other people who want to tinker with every single thing, and they don't necessarily think about it in the, in the broader context of, of what's going to harmonize with the, you know, with the site as, as, as a whole. And they're like, okay, well, I want, you know, purple text on this page, and I want orange text on this page, and I want, you know... Orange it, everywhere. 12 different fonts. This is what happens. This is what happened when desktop publishing came out. It, it's, you know, it, it, it will increasingly happen as there's, you know, more stuff that can be done on the web without writing code. Uh, it will happen in, in, you know, whatever uh, element that uh, humans interact in, because this is what our species is like. I think you're going to get less of that, though, with Gutenberg in its current form. If it continues on the path, there's going to be more of a, it, to me, in my own testing, there's more of a framework to it that it's hard to deviate out of. So it's not like a, a modern page builder where you've got drop shadows and everyone applies the drop shadow wrong and it looks horrible. Animations and people like way overdo it on animations and it looks horrible. Um, gradients and people pick the wrong colors no, and it, it looks horrible. Not like that yet, but people are already building custom blocks. 
That's true. And I, I think a lot of the, you know, the people who've done page builder work will either extend what they're, they're doing or replace what they're doing with creating custom Gutenberg blocks. Yeah. I'm so torn by um, what you've all said, because I agree with everything you said. It's just that I agree with your statements actually, Adam, you know, because you can really take this design thing much too far, but on our land, I've seen, and also seen obsession with some clients about the font size and this particular logo has got to be moved to, um, you know, they're just obsessed by it. And it, fundamentally, they want to really concentrate a bit more on the content and the SEO and the strategy of who they're aiming this at. A yes, bit more. people get uh, distracted from the, you know, the, the real goal. And, uh, you know, as, as a colleague of mine uh, was fond of saying, the customer is not always right, but the customer is still the customer. And, and yeah. you know, as, right. as, as people who are, are working for others. You just had a customer turn up behind you. And we have to put that in. Yes. Well, this one is very clear about what yeah. she wants. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this. And I didn't go, we didn't have a break because we've just been hammering away at this but i think it's time to end this show i've been waffling a little bit i'm a bit burnt i've done a lot of podcasting this week and i'm a little bit burnt out um you're, you're I'm gonna like what like four episodes in three days Ooh. oh i've lost track i don't even know what day it is uh, yeah. uh, I've been knocking it, it must be friday because we're here yes exactly uh um thank you that sammy uh um, i'm gonna let my great panel and i mean that they'll be the great panel this week lit themselves and i'm going to start with adam adam how can people find out more about what you're up to my youtube channel is where most of the action is it's uh youtube.com slash wp crafter and also wpcrafter.com. i have new tutorials going up um maybe like five last week i had five or six and this week i've had three you're so, a freaking machine yeah i put a lot of effort into it oh, uh my God. yeah What's, what's it up to now? 70,000 or something? Or 52,000, oh, yeah. No, it no, goes no. up about 1,000 a week. Oh, you must be disappointed in that. Very grateful. <laughs> Sorry. I'm no, actually going to start collaborations, by the way, so it's going to go up faster. Yeah, yeah please do. Uh, um, Chris, how can people find out about your wisdom and what you're up to? You can find me at lifterlms.com. LMS stands for Learning Management System. If you're watching this live in 30 minutes, we are doing a presentation on our uh, new assignments rollout, Ooh. doing a live webinar that'll be streaming into Facebook. You can also find us in our Facebook group. Just look for Lifter LMS VIP. And uh, you can also sign up to get the replay of that video there. And for those of you listening and watching, please leave a review for WP Tonic. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, um, but you, you've been producing some great stuff. And I, I was saying, actually, Adam, I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed Chris' interview um, that Chris did with you on um, the Lifter podcast. I thought it was a great interview. Um, Sally, um, how can people find out more about you, Sally? You can find me at WPFangirl.com. Uh, you can find the meetup at eastbaywp.com. I am at Sally Gatch on Twitter. And if you can spell my name, you will find me. I am unique in Google. You, you, unique in general, in a very positive way, I like to say. Um, John, um, how can people find out? You, you've been knocking out a lot of stuff yourself, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, not as much as Adam, um, but, uh, you know, we'll get there in time. 
Uh, you can find me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com. Uh, and you can find me on YouTube as well. Just Google Lockdown Design or John J. Lock. You'll find me. How do the great people get a hold of you, Jonathan? Oh, it's really easy, folks. Go to the WP Tonic site. We've got more content about membership and learning management systems on there. Got some great articles written by my co-host and also by myself. Um, we've got some good stuff and we've got some new stuff coming up this month. Also, we've got um, just did a great um, conversation with John's help uh, with Rand from Moss, formerly the CEO of Moss. It was a great interview. Really enjoyed it. Um, there's just tons of stuff going on on the WP Tonic website, so go and have a look. And we'll see you next week where we're going to have another great panel, another great discussion. I think recently the discussions have been fantastic. And we uh, love you to join the tribe. Join the WP Tonic tribe. That would be great. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.